Aren't you glad that we're not rich? Aren't you glad that we live in a country where we don't have to worry about the things that James is mentioning in the first six verses of this James chapter 5? I mean, look at that first statement in James chapter 5 verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Man, (laughs) I don't want to do that. I'm glad we're not rich, right? You know the average salary in America is $77,000. That's for a, a, a family. The average family in America brings in $77,000. There's only like 15, 12 to 15% of America, according to the government census website, that is below the poverty line. There's only about 15% that's below the American poverty line, what America considers to be in poverty. There's 300 million people in America. And the average salary is $77,000 across 300 million people. But we're not the biggest country in the world. Uh, India is the second biggest. China is the first. But India is the second biggest. They have 1.3 billion people in India. Do you know what the average salary is in that country of 1.3 billion people. In American dollars, it's $3,300 a year. That's the average. For a nation that has a population four times the size of America. But we're not rich. Right? We are rich. I mean, the poor in America are the top 10% in the world. We know that. Uh, We are wealthy. We have opportunities. Even the poorest among us have opportunities that people in other nations only dream of. And so when we read the book of James and we get to chapter 5, verse 1, and he says, Come now, you rich. We have to realize that's talking about me. That's talking about us. Everyone in this room is included in the statement, Come now, you rich. But what he says is so confusing and it's so conflicting inside of me. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. I don't want to weep and howl. I mean, I just don't. This is, this is, this is the battle I'm fighting as I'm reading through and studying this. I'm tempted to say I'm not rich, but I know that's not true. And then I'm tempted to think, but I'm a Christian and God has forgiven me of my sins, so it's okay that I'm rich. I'm forgiven for my sinfulness of being rich, right? I'm okay. I don't need to be weeping and howling for riches. But James is talking to Christians who are rich and he's telling them, he's commanding them, weep and howl. For the miseries that are coming upon you. Don't we want to rejoice in our riches? Don't we want to enjoy our wealth and our riches and the opportunities that we have to actually purchase and and enjoy the things that are all around us? Don't we look forward to that? Aren't we excited when we get a promotion or we make more money? We think that's a positive thing. And here's James saying, weep and howl. For the miseries that are coming upon you. What a buzzkill this is to hear. 
that I need to be weeping and howling as a Christian who is rich. But when we keep reading in this text, we start to understand what James is getting at. Why James is bringing up the richness that that you have and how you're supposed to be weeping and howling as a result of your riches. In this text, James gives us four indictments for being rich. Four reasons why we ought to be weeping and howling and in misery for our riches. So, it's not really happy, right? <laughs> We're not excited about this, but it's going to be okay. We, we need to hear this, and it's going to be okay in the end because we need to understand these things because the truth is, if we're Christians and we're rich, God wants us to know this. This is very important. The first thing that he addresses him is in verse, verses 2 and 3. He says, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures on the last day. At first glance, this doesn't really sound like an indictment. There's nothing that we read in this that's like something we're doing wrong, very directly stated. It's just talking about what's happening to our riches. They're, they're rotted. Notice how he says that. Your riches are rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Have you ever had any garments that are moth-eaten? Or any riches or any possessions that have gone to waste? Notice he even says, Your silver and your gold have corroded. These are not materials that we would think corrosive. But here James is pointing to all of these riches and all of these wealths, and he's saying it's corroded in your possession. The things that you have been blessed with, the things that we have received in our riches are being wasted away because they're just sitting somewhere, not being used. James is indicting us for hoarding up our riches and not using them. He's saying that they're going to waste. Even the things that should never go to waste are going to waste. Why? Because we're keeping them stored up for ourselves when we don't really use them. Notice what will happen if we do this. Notice what he says. This will eat your flesh like fire. The corrosion of all these riches that we have hoarded up for ourselves spreads to our flesh and eats up our flesh like fire. That's an image for us, right? That's a picture for us. Imagine this happening. Imagine you go out into your garage and you've got all this stuff piled up and you don't even know where half of it is, right? And then it, it, it's, it's wasting away. It's molding. It's rotting. And then you look on your hand as you start to touch and look through it and it's coming upon you and now you're eating up in the flesh. It's, it's a disgusting picture that's terrifying of a life that's lived in misery because you have all of this stuff that's going to waste 
And it's eating away at who you are and what you are. Because you've laid up treasures in the last days. You've laid up treasures for yourself in the last days. All this has been revealed to us. We are Christians. We know what's going to happen after this life. We know all of these things are going to go away. That there's no point in hoarding them up. There's no point in keeping them for ourselves. But yet we've kept them. And now they are affecting us and they are making us waste away. What a picture this is. That, that we ought not to be hoarding up our treasures for ourselves. But wait a second, isn't it wise for us to save money? Isn't it wise to have an emergency fund? Isn't it wise to, to set aside money for a time when I can't support myself and, and a retirement fund and things like that? Well, yeah, of course it is, right? There's, we, we don't want to be a burden to other people. We don't want to be a burden to the church. But the question is, are we saving excessively? Are we setting aside for ourselves more than we actually need and can actually use? Are we keeping it all for our rainy day when it could actually be used by other people who are around us? Well, we never know when we're going to need it, right? I remember going out into my garage before we moved down here and and looking through all this stuff and just feeling the anguish of having to throw things away. It's like, but I need that. (laughs) I'm going to need this box of nuts and bolts one day. I know I will. I don't need all of them. I need like one, and I don't know which one it is. There's all kinds of stuff like this that, that we store up and we put in our garage that we know that we're going to need. But then ten years later, we haven't used it. And some of this stuff would have been valuable if we would have sold it, but we held on to it. And we let it waste away in our care when we could have actually done something productive with it. Why is it so hard for us to be content letting go of the things that we never use? Why is it so hard for us to give up these things that we don't need, obviously? Why do we feel the need to hold on to them? Well, James says by doing that, it's eating our flesh. We need to be weeping and howling over that misery of having all this stuff stored up that we're not using. We need to be weeping and howling over these tendencies that we have to keep and to keep and to store up and to have storehouses of stuff and rent storage spaces to put more stuff. We buy new stuff and we forget we already bought it and we have it somewhere. And it's eating us away inside. It's changing who we are. Weep and howl for the misery. But that's not all. He goes on, and there's more indictments in this text. Verse 4, he says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Wait a second. We would never commit fraud. Notice how he, he says... 
You have kept back by fraud. We would never commit fraud. We would never do these things. But think about this a little bit more deeply. Think about what he's saying here. He's talking about a man who has a field, who has workers in his field, who have gone out and worked for him. And after they have labored all day, they come to him expecting to get their payment, and he holds it back. He keeps it for himself. And he doesn't pay those who have done the work for him that they deserve to be paid. If this really isn't a problem for us, then we shouldn't really be talking about it. In fact, it's kind of odd, whenever we go to the Old Testament, we see God specifically command against this. He talks about, you must not hold back the wages that are due to those who labor for you. And then whenever we get to the prophets, we see over and over again. We see it in Isaiah, we see it in Amos, we see it in Jeremiah. For some odd reason, people are holding back money and not paying those who are working for them. Do we not see how easy it is to justify holding on to money that's deserved to someone else? How easy is it for us to say, they don't deserve it? (laughs) Or, I can't afford it. You ever had that waiter or waitress that does a terrible job? <laughs> they don't deserve it. Or that, that, that waiter or waitress that does a great job, but that bill is so high. <laughs> and I made a mistake. I cannot afford to eat here. Can we back up? Can I just give you the food back somehow? Because I can't afford to give you a tip on top of everything else. We feel that temptation to hold back part of what we owe someone else in many different ways. And that's part of being rich. That's part of having wealth. That we think we're going to keep it all for ourselves and that's going to be okay for us to do that. That we can somehow shortcut the system by deceiving someone or not giving them what they're really owed. Oh, we'll never get caught doing this. We can jip someone else and we can get away with it and then we can afford to pay the, the huge bills that we owe on all the other stuff that we buy. But notice what's going to happen to us if we act that way. If we think that we can hold on to what belongs to someone else just because it's in our possessions. He says, the Lord of hosts hears the cries of those wages that are in your possession. That money that stays in our bank accounts cries out to God and says, I don't belong here. I belong somewhere else. I belong to this person over here who has not been given what they deserve. And God knows. God knows. And notice how He says it. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of armies. He knows what's going on. He knows what we're doing. He knows that we are rich and that we are oppressing those who have labored for us and taken advantage of the situation. Oppressing those who are poorer than us to get what we want. For some reason, we can't be content with what actually belongs to us. We think we have to take what belongs to someone else because it's in our bank account we somehow have a right to that. 
But James says instead we ought to weep and howl for that tendency that we have to to be tight-fisted. Anybody ever been accused of being a tightwad? It's 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 easy, right? I mean, if I don't give it up, then I get to keep it. That just seems like a simple system. I don't want to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. I don't want to render to Bob what is Bob's. <laughs> I want to keep it for myself. I need to weep and howl over that desire that's inside of me. Because it's evil. Because it's wrong. Because God's not happy with that. And I'm a Christian. And I desire to do God's will. So I see that. I see that sin inside of me. That temptation that I have. And I weep and I howl. Because I know the Lord hears. And the Lord knows what I've done. The third indictment's in verse 5. He says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Wow. That third indictment is that they're spending money on all kinds of pleasures for themselves, right? They're indulging in all the pleasures of this life, the hobbies, the food, the clothing, the houses, everything that makes them happy. It's like the rich man in Luke 16 with Lazarus outside. Remember, he's feasting sumptuously every day. He's enjoying all that life has to offer. Well, what's so wrong with that? What's so wrong with enjoying our riches? Enjoying what God has blessed us with. Notice what he says. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. What in the world does that mean? You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Well, they would fatten up a calf. You you remember the parable of the lost son, right? The son returns, kill the fatted calf. They fatten up the calf to prepare him for slaughter. So if you're the calf... You think life is great. (laughs) I mean, you get this buffet. You get the best of foods. You're just eating it up. You're indulging in all this pleasure of satisfaction. And you don't realize it's temporary. Because you're about to be slaughtered. It's a temporary satisfaction that doesn't have a lasting effect. It doesn't have a lasting satisfaction that you're seeking, that you think that you found. And this is what we have whenever we indulge in the pleasures of this life. We don't just indulge in foods, right? It's talking about a fattened heart, not a fattened belly. We are fattening our hearts by taking in the food, the clothing, the houses, the hobbies, the, the cars, the stuff, the technology. We take it all in. And it makes our hearts glad for a temporary amount of time. And we think that everything is going to go great for us. I mean, think about this for a minute. What do we... We live in a a society that loves luxury. We have luxuries for our luxuries, right? We don't just have a car. We have a car with everything. (laughs) Heated seats. I mean, 
It's a luxury to not have to walk, but if we've got a car that, that doesn't have a CD player or a radio, then you know we consider ourselves poor. Think about our iPhones. Think about the way they sell those things. Oh, you've got last year's model. You need this year's model. And look at all these features it's got. Think about uh, a TV. Well, high definition isn't quite high enough. You need ultra, ultra high definition. And by buying that, you will be happy. We live in the United States of America, and this is a land of consumers. Consumerism. It's everywhere. People send their stuff here because they know we're going to buy it. We get ads coming at us. At one time it was like 700 ads a day, but we got smart and we started doing Netflix and we started filtering our internet and now we're down to 300 ads a day. They're pumping ads at us all the time saying, buy this and then you'll be really happy. And then you'll be really content and then everything will go great for your life. And we buy it. And the next year we don't know where it is because we don't use it anymore because it's junk to us. It's no wonder we struggle to be content, but this text is telling us the day of slaughter is coming. All of this temporary satisfaction that we're indulging ourselves in is just fattening us up. We're we're indulging in temporary satisfaction thinking that we are finding something great but we don't realize that the end is near. Our luxuries that we enjoy are bigger than any other generation and they will lead to our slaughter if we let them. So weep and howl. Over these miseries that you have to deal with on a daily basis. We have to deal with this on a daily basis. We struggle with contentment. We're never content no matter how much we buy, no matter how much we have. And we're told that we will be content if we buy this or we buy that. There's an indictment that we are the fatted calves who can never be truly satisfied And we need to make a change. We need to weep and howl over that misery that we're enduring. But the last indictment is the the most odd and the most striking. Verse 6, he says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James says that those who are rich, who are loving money more than God are somehow condemning and murdering those around us. Well, isn't that an interesting statement? You've got all these pictures throughout this text. Notice he talks about the the eating of your flesh, right? He talks about um, the the ears of the Lord of hosts, the the wages crying out. He talks about the, the day of slaughter and the fattening of our hearts. And now he says... You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. These are Christians. They're not going around condemning and murdering everybody. So why is it that he's saying you're rich, 
You should weep and howl because you are condemning and murdering the righteous people. Well, the truth is, we're spreading condemnation all around us with our riches. We're spreading condemnation to to everyone around us. We're showing people how to live. We're the examples for others. And we're hoarding up our riches. And we're refusing to share with other people who are around us. And they're seeing that. And we're splurging on all these luxuries and all these things as though there's satisfaction in those things. And those around us are seeing that. And they're following us. We're condemning ourselves and we're condemning those around us by following after the idols of riches. We need to weep and howl and repent of our evil that we have committed. We're not just condemning people, though. We're murdering people. We're ruining lives with our money, with our love of money. We're ruining the lives of our friends, We're ruining the lives of our co-workers. We're ruining the lives of our spouses. Think about how much time and effort we're spending getting more money. Thinking, that'll fix my marriage. And it damages our marriage. We're wasting our time building up more and more wealth for ourselves while our children are neglected and, and ignored. You know, it's, it's really odd in America that both the mom and dad go to work. Hadn't always been that way, but it's, it's an odd thing. It kind of doesn't make sense when you think about it, because we're giving our kids to other people to raise. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's not right, especially the younger years that are so forming to the child's character. We're just giving that up to other people to let them raise our children. Why? Is it because we need to survive? No, it's not really that. It's because we want more. We want more and more and more. And these people are being destroyed by our choices. We're having an impact on the lives around us by the way that we live with our riches. And we're being held responsible for these things. We're sacrificing our spouses, our children, to the altar of the car god. The new car god. The new house god. We're worshiping and we're serving our idols. And they don't resist us. They don't know any better. They're innocent. But they're being damaged by it. What are we really getting with our riches? All this wealth that we're able to accumulate, what's it really getting us? How's it really helping us? If it's such a blessing, if it's such a wonderful thing that we ought to be excited and rejoicing over, what is it getting us? What is it bringing us? James says it's bringing us misery. We don't even see it. We're hoarding We're refusing to give. We're wasting. We're ruthlessly acquiring riches. And it's leaving us empty. It's leaving us sad. (laughs) It's so funny, isn't it? It's ironic 
We think these things will make us happy. And they just leave us empty. Because that's not what life's really all about. It turns out riches are something to be overcome, not pursued in life. Riches are not so much a blessing as a temptation for us. Something that we have to deal with as Christians. We ought not to be pursuing more and more and more because riches are a terrible God. (laughs) They don't give us what they claim to give us. They don't provide the satisfaction that lasts. Instead, they take away our satisfaction. They take away our happiness. There's only one that provides us with a lasting satisfaction. There's only one that gives us true delight in this life. And that's God. We need to weep and howl over the miseries that riches bring. And we need to be pursuing faithfulness with God. That's what the whole letter of James is about. James doesn't stop to talk about it here. But the whole letter really is about... You're double-minded if you're pursuing these evils. You're destroying yourselves. You're destroying your relationship with God. Instead, have a steadfast love for God. Have faithfulness toward God. And you'll find a lasting satisfaction. You think your anger is going to fix your problems. You think your tongue is going to fix your problems. You think your money is going to fix your problems. None of it does. But God does. God makes life worth living. God helps us. And, and Paul reflected these same thoughts in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He talked about godliness with contentment is great gain. But those who are rich pierce themselves through with many pains in this life. We can't take our riches with us when this life is over. And, and if we act like, it, act like we can, then we're going to cause ourselves a lot of harm. And a lot of pain. Instead, the rich need to be rich in good works. The rich need to be using their wealth to glorify God. To reach out to those who are around them. They need to be laying up treasures in heaven. Remember what Jesus said? Where neither moth nor rust destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. The riches that we receive in this life are not sinful in and of themselves. Just like fire is not evil, (laughs) but it's dangerous. And we have to know how to handle it in order to be safe. That's the way it is with our riches. They can be very dangerous to us. So if we are rich, which I think we all are to some level, some extent, we need to consider how we're using our riches. We need to be in a daily battle to be content and to delight in God above everything else. Every day of our lives is going to be a struggle to find contentment, to find peace, to find happiness in God alone. Because like I said, we have 300 ads telling us, look here, look here, look here. We just think, oh, yeah, maybe. I'll try that. But no. That's not where happiness is found. That's not where 
rejoicing is found. That's not where satisfaction is found. It's only found in God. Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with Him? Have you laid up treasures for yourself in heaven? Or have you been focused on this earth and what this life has to offer you? It's not good if you have. This is, this is not what life is about. All the riches that we can accumulate for ourselves will all disappear. We've gone through some parables that have made that very clear. But God promises, if we're faithful to Him, that He will provide us with a lasting possession when this life is over. If you need to give your life to God, you need to make a change and you know what you need to do, please make a change now. Please come as we stand and sing.